Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we'll answer on each podcast as we get our heart and mind on Jesus. All scriptures quoted are from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to see all of you on this first day of the week. What a pleasure to be here. What a, I'm so happy to see more and more of you presently here with us celebrating this awesome occasion that it is at the first day of every week. How blessed are we to remember this event, this transformational event every single week, not once a year, but every single week. We spoke, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, about being seen, right? And how our society has a preoccupation on wanting to be seen. Well, today we're going to turn that on its head and speak about who sees you. Too often we think people don't understand what we go through. We look for validation. We look for empathy, sometimes just a little sympathy. Sometimes we don't get it, really. There's only one who can totally empathize with you. There's only one out there who truly understands even more than you do what's it like to be in your shoes. He literally was in your shoes and is in your shoes. He completely gets you because he made you from head to toe. He even knows how many hairs you have on your head. Some of us don't have any, so it's easy to count, but he knows how many hairs there are on your head. You don't even know that, right? So that's how intimately Jesus knows you. He became like you. He took upon some serious suffering, as our brother Mark detailed. He did that all from you to save you from something that you have no idea what it is. He sees you. He gets you. So Jesus, at this point in time, finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 8, we read, He came down from the mountain, and large crowds were following him. After this, as you read through the Gospels, you're going to see that wherever Jesus is going to go now during his public ministry, large crowds are going to be following him as he goes into, into the public. And today we're going to look at two situations that illustrate how Jesus really sees us. He sees really deeply into our soul. He gets us. He understands what we're going through. And so we get the impression from all these events. I'm just going to highlight two but from most of the events we read through in the Gospels that he really cares. We sing that song, Jesus Really Cares. Cast your burdens unto Jesus for he cares for you. He really does. So in this next event that occurs, Jesus went to Capernaum and a Roman army officer came to beg him for help. The officer said, sir, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and in terrible pain. Now, when you read this firsthand, you might not think too much about what this text is actually saying, but we have to get a little background here to understand the magnitude 
of the events that are going to unfold before us in this passage. Here, Jesus is not being sought out by an Israelite or by a fellow Jew, but by a Gentile, and not by any Gentile, but by a centurion. Here in God's word version, he is called a Roman army officer. But in the Greek, the word centurion is used. And Matthew and Luke's version of events slightly differ as to how this centurion approaches Jesus. So the centurion really is somebody who's in charge of a hundred soldiers. So he was like a, I guess you could say like a sergeant or like a lieutenant. I don't know what the equivalent would be in the armed forces, but he is an officer. Okay. He's not just a soldier, not, a, not just a private. <laughs> so what's really going on is that this centurion, even though in this version of events, it's, we're told that the centurion approaches Jesus. Luke actually shares that the centurion felt he wasn't even worthy of coming to Jesus personally, but he sends a delegation to Jesus to intercede on his behalf. And so right away, we start getting an impression that this is not just any guy. You know, here is a Roman officer. You know, he could have come up to Jesus and demanded something. After all, that's how Roman that's what Roman soldiers did back in the day. And we're not even talking about officers, but regular soldiers. But here is this officer, this centurion. He might as well just come up to Jesus and everybody would have made a way for him. Oh, be careful. The Roman centurion is coming. But here is this guy. Right away, we get an impression. He, he doesn't even feel worthy of coming before Jesus. He sends a delegation. And the delegation in Luke chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, which is the parallel account, says the officer had heard about Jesus and sent some Jewish leaders to him. They were to ask Jesus to come and save his servant's life. And they came to Jesus and begged, he deserves your help. Centurions were commanders. They had authority. They understood the chain of command very well. Compassion and humility were not their important characteristics. They were very rugged and they were very demanding. So right away, the fact that he's coming to Jesus and begging him is a sign that this man had a different heart. First of all, he cared for his servant. He cared for his slave. He cared that he was in pain and he wanted Jesus to help him. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about some of the miracles Jesus did. And he right away, you know, in this man's eyes, who was a pagan, he didn't really believe in God, but he could not deny the things that he was hearing. He knew that it, this wasn't just a fandom. He knew that this was real. And it became so real to him that he says, I have to somehow approach Jesus because he's moved by the condition of his servant. Even though his servant couldn't serve him, what do you do with a horse that can't carry you? What do you do with a horse whose leg breaks? Some of you know a horse that can't really serve you or an animal that's been domesticated or a farm animal that can't really serve you. What do you do with them? You put them down to ease their pain and ease their suffering. And that's how they treated slaves back then. A slave can't serve me. Well, we'll get someone else to replace him and we'll get rid of him. But apparently this guy was different. Even though the slave couldn't serve him, the Roman centurion cared for him 
and wanted him to be well. He wanted to do something for him. We read in Luke chapter 7, verse 5, that this Roman centurion didn't just care for his slave. He actually cared for the whole Jewish community that he was in. He actually even built them a synagogue. How's that? So we're talking about a, a Gentile whose, whose heart was really turning to God. And now in the presence of Jesus, he decides, wow, I need to come and meet this guy. I need to see what Jesus can do for me. And when the Jews who represented him come to Jesus, that's what they tell him. They says, oh, you know, this guy loves us. He has a great reputation. He is blameless. You know, they're trying to build this case up for Jesus. But of course, Jesus knows the hearts of men. <laughs> he knew who this guy was. And do you remember what happened when a few weeks ago, maybe it was last month, we talked about this other government official, remember, who, who had, I think it was his son or his daughter who was paralyzed. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you got to come with me. You remember how Jesus reacted back then? Jesus said, go. It's fine. He didn't want to go with the, with the government official. But in this case, what does he do? This is a little different. Jesus immediately says, hey, I'll come and heal him. He was willing right then and there to show him that he wanted to support the Roman centurion. He saw him. Jesus saw him and said, hey, I'm going to go there. Jesus was willing to go wherever he was needed. He didn't even ask where the man was. It didn't make a difference to him where somebody is that needs his help, as we know. Someone who is so dedicated to someone else's welfare. This pagan, this soldier who cares so much for his slave. Hey, let's go and heal him. Maybe he was moved by the centurion's attitude and his disposition. Just like in the case of the young paralyzed man's friend in Mark chapter 2 verse 5. You know what they did, right? Here we have a group of friends and they're so eager to put him in front of Jesus. But there was such a large crowd around him. They're like, how are we going to get in there? We can't get around. The house was surrounded by people. So these young men's friends, they were very ingenious. They were very entrepreneurial. They went on top of the roof and dug a hole <laughs> and said, okay, we're going to put him down and right in front of Jesus. And Jesus right away, of course, I mean, anybody who would see something like that, he was impressed by their faith and said, your faith has healed you. And so Jesus is getting this impression from this Roman centurion. He's, he wants to go right away. But look at what happens here. The officer responded. And of course, we're talking about the officers, the, the delegation that he had sent. I don't deserve to have you come into my house. The officer responds. But just give a command and my servant will be healed. As you know. He, he knew that. Jesus knew. As you know, I'm in a chain of command and have soldiers at my command. I tell one of them, go, and he goes. Another one, come, and he comes. I tell my servant, do this, and he does it. So here the centurion shows that he's deferring to the authority of Jesus right away. Something that we can recognize in how he is speaking is that he recognizes Jesus as someone in higher authority than himself. Think about that. What Roman centurion anywhere thought that Jesus had more authority than him? Which one? <laughs> Only this guy. 
Look at his deference. Look at his humility. Even in his language, saying to Jesus, you know these things, Jesus. I don't deserve you to come into my house. And in Luke, he explains why he sent that delegation. He says, that's why I sent you that delegation, because I don't deserve your presence here. And he knew about authority. He knew if Jesus was the ruler of the universe, as he figured, because of what he had heard Jesus does, he can control the wind, he can control the water, he can heal diseases, he can raise the dead. He said, I can't do that. I need my sword to get something done. But with Jesus, he says it, and it happens. This guy has some serious authority. Think about how that impressed him as someone who is under authority. You know, I, I have some experience with chain of command, believe it or not. And so when I hear people out in the world complaining about the government and such and such an elected official, or, or there's so much bureaucracy, so much red tape, why does it take so long for something to get done? I look at them and I say, you have no idea, do you, about chain of authority? You have no idea what it's like to work under someone else or what it's like to be responsible for something or what it's like to work with people. Because things like that happen. <laughs> We're human beings. And especially working in a bureaucracy, we have to all work together. Somebody can't just come in and say, well, this is going to happen and, and plow right through things. It's not how we do things. In a sane community, that is. So Jesus is really getting some great vibes here from the centurion. The centurion is basically saying it like it is. Yeah, Jesus, you know. I say to this guy, go, he goes. I say to him, come, and he comes. And Jesus is like, holy cow, who is this guy? <laughs> Where has he been all this time? He trusted the word of Jesus. He says, say the word. And it'll get done. That's what he said. So, needless to say, Jesus was speechless. How many times in the New Testament do you read that Jesus was amazed? Usually amazed at how stupid we are. Usually amazed at how foolish we are. Saying things like, oh, how long do I have to put up with you? To his disciples. That's what we usually hear from Jesus. But this time, he was speechless. He was truly amazed. He said to those who were following him, right? He said it to the crowd, kind of like, hey, learn something from this guy. I guarantee this truth. I haven't found faith as great as this in anyone in Israel. Wow. He marvels at the man's insight, at his faith. He's a pagan. That is humility. His every request, full of meekness, not presuming upon Jesus' time or attention, not at all. He understands Jesus' authority. He says, Jesus, just say the word. I know it's going to get done. Maybe he had heard about the government's official son. I don't know. But the centurion really is showing here in this kind of interaction, that he didn't trust in himself. The centurion is showing here that he didn't trust this world. The centurion shows here that he didn't trust the faith he was raised in. 
He didn't trust his man-made religion. Because he didn't go to the temple of Jupiter to pray. He didn't offer money to the priests that he knew of to heal his slave. He didn't waste his time there. He says, no, I got to go get Jesus of Nazareth. He is the master of the universe. I know. And boom, he was a humble man. He was willing to be led. Don't we say that a true leader first has to show how willing to be led he is, right? In order to be a true leader. That's what he shows. So Jesus told the officer, go. What you believed will be done for you. And at that moment, the servant was healed. Just like in the case of the government official's son, who was tested. His case was a little different, right? He was tested to see if he had faith. He wanted Jesus to come with him. He required some visual assistance, some visual belief. And Jesus said, no, no, go ahead. He's going to be healed. And so his faith was tested that way. But in the case of this Roman centurion, his faith already came through. Because Jesus acknowledged it. Wow, what great faith does this guy have? He didn't need to be tested in that way. And so Jesus doesn't go with him to test his faith. And boom, his servant is healed at that very hour. So this is the second occasion or the second event that we're going to examine today. Soon afterwards, so this is like right after the situation with the Roman centurion, right after that, Jesus went to a city called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd. Again, we see the large crowd following along with Jesus. Uh, and as he came near the entrance to the city, he met a funeral procession. The dead man was a widow's only child. A large crowd from the city was with her. So we got a large crowd from the city following the widow, following the funeral procession. Another large crowd coming with Jesus. Two large crowds about to collide there. And, you know, we've been all to a funeral before. I think we've all had experiences going to funerals. Jesus encounters this funeral procession. It's a mom. Her, her son died. I mean, that's a very sad occasion. Uh, her only child had died. And Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that funerals are the places where the wise people are found because in, in a funeral, we face our ultimate reality, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2 and 4. So funerals are usually events filled with sobriety. And I don't know about you, but when some of the loved ones in my family have died, you feel helpless, you feel vulnerable in places like these, especially when we're uh, mourning somebody that we love. And Jesus here now is about to change everything. Every, all the crowds, both the crowds following the procession and the crowds following Jesus are in for a treat in this occasion. Here we see Jesus sees her, the scripture says. Jesus saw her. The widow was seen in her pain. And his heart goes out to her. He felt sorry for her. And he says to her, probably cradles her in his arm and says, don't cry. The widow was seen. Her sorrow was felt. God sees you. During these times in your life, when you think no one else is looking, or when you're seeing everyone else looking at you, and you're probably thinking, these people don't know what I'm going through. They don't understand. God sees you. He sees you. He's way ahead of you. And he not only sees you, he feels your pain. He's right there with you. 
And although she didn't call out to him, notice, he saw her and went up to her. That's a little different because people usually are running up to Jesus and tugging at him. But at this occasion, Jesus goes up to her. He sees her. He wants to comfort her. He connected with her suffering. That's why Jesus became a man. The book of Hebrews says to experience the sorrow, to experience the pain, the tiredness, the confusion, the anxiety, whatever it is that you're going through. He really is the only one that knows deep inside what it is. I may know if I had a similar experience, I can maybe comfort you a little bit with the little bit of experience and the comfort that God gave me, but I can't fully connect with you. And I can't fully connect with all of you because maybe you're going through an experience that I haven't gone through. Maybe you're suffering or are carrying a burden that I know nothing of and vice versa. But we have one, the author of Hebrews says, that knows deeply all these things. And that's why he became the adequate high priest for you and me to intercede before God for us on our behalf. And here we see that shown in the flesh. The Gospels teach us how Jesus did this in the flesh. What he's doing right now in heaven. This is a fleshly demonstration of that. He feels your pain. He knows our struggles. And that's a great encouragement for us, right, as parents. Because Jesus sees us too. <laughs> he sees us right there. Not in a casual in different way, not like, hey, I see. No, he knows what it's like to struggle. Even as a, as a spouse, he knows the struggle that you go through, being married, being a parent. Teens, kids, he knows your struggle, being a child <laughs> and having to obey mom and dad and sometimes disagreeing. So you can take comfort in knowing that as painful as your walk can get in this life, whether you're carrying a disease or some emotional hurt, Jesus' heart goes out to you as well. You're not alone. He sees you in your solitude. He sees you in your relationships. He sees you in your marriage. He sees you in your parenthood. He knows what you're feeling. And guess what he's saying? Don't cry. It's going to be okay. Don't cry. He wants to turn your sorrow into joy. Maybe not at, that, at this instant moment, but knowing that you've been seen by him, you can trust the way that he's going to lead you. If you truly let go and let God and trust him, he's going to take you somewhere else. The widow didn't expect at all what Jesus was going to do in this instant. To her, maybe it was enough that Jesus came up to her, maybe put his arm around her, maybe said, don't cry. To her, maybe it was enough that, look, wow, somebody is comforting me. And maybe she was going to be okay with that, even in this tough scenario where her son died. But nobody expected this. <laughs> he went up to the open coffin, took hold of it, and the men who were carrying it stopped. And he said, young man, I'm telling you to come back to life. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
Do you know that this is the first recorded event in the Gospels of someone being raised from the dead? So the first person recorded to be raised from the dead by Jesus is this young man. Once again, Jesus is demonstrating to have the power, the authority that the Roman centurion recognized he had. The Roman centurion didn't need to see this. He already believed it. But now Jesus is demonstrating it to the crowds who perhaps doubted, especially when Jesus pointed them out. Hey, I haven't found faith like this guy in all of Israel. And people probably were like, you're talking about me? What are you talking about, Jesus? And now probably that same crowd follows him into this next city. And they see this young man being raised from the dead. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay. Is that what he was talking about? Is that what the Roman centurion believed? Once again, he demonstrates to have power and dominion over death itself. One of our main enemies. He conquered two of our worst, or our two worst enemies, the ultimate enemies, sin and death. And where did he do that? Well, he did it on the cross. See, while Jesus was alive, he did raise people from the dead, yes. He showed everybody to have that power over death and even over sin, because he frequently said, your sins are forgiven. And when somebody challenged him and that, well, who are you to forgive sins? And he says, well, what do you think is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk? Which one's easier to say? And he said, to show you that I have authority, he tells the men, pick up your mat and walk. Showing that he had authority to forgive sins. Sins and death. But in order to conquer it ultimately, for us, he had to become sin on our behalf. As Mark pointed out, Jesus was innocent across the board in every realm of his life. And yet, he humbled himself and allowed himself to become sin so that we could later on become the righteousness of God. To you and me hearing that, we might intellectually somewhat accept it. I don't think we can comprehend it. We could say, okay. <laughs> That's about it. I don't think we can understand what that means. I don't know if we would ever will. But Jesus took that for us. And one day at that feast in the kingdom of heaven, hopefully we'll see, wow, this is what he did. But right now we walk by faith, not by sight. But as we increase in faith, that faith will become sight on that day, and we will appreciate these things. Even though we're not holy, even though we're sinful people, once we join Jesus in this, in this walk, and we imitate this gospel, how? Well, as Jesus gave himself, he denied his flesh for our sake. Now, if we recognize that authority, like the Roman centurion did, if we recognize Jesus as the master of the universe, we too will look at ourselves and say, well, I don't want to live by my flesh anymore. There is nothing for me in that. There's nothing really for me to gain except death. I will freely die now voluntarily in baptism so that I can claim my newness of life that God is offering me. That's what someone does when they recognize the authority of Jesus. And that's why once we join him in this walk, 
Now we have to be different from the world because now we're light. We're not in darkness anymore. We're not advertising the ways of the world here. There's plenty of people to do that. But we advertise that there's a different way to walk now. And that's in the way of Christ, not my way. Some people might say, oh, Peter, well, that's the way you think. No, it isn't. You want to know the way I thought? I'll show you pictures. I'll show you stuff that I wrote 35 years ago. That's what I thought. What I'm doing now is not what I think. That's why it, it means dying to self. That's not easy. It's not my way. It's his way. And so if somebody challenges you, well, that's the way you think. No, it is not. This is Jesus' way. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to do. It's hard to follow. It's going to take the rest of your life to get in line. But it's not hard to understand. And so Jesus triumphs over sin on the cross. He triumphed, as the scripture says, over the powers, over the authorities that were against us, disarming them on the cross, winning a victory for all human beings. As he triumphed over the power of sin on the third day, he triumphed over death by his resurrection. So as Colossians says, he disarmed sin and death. He disarmed these powers, our two biggest oppressors, so that we don't have to fear them anymore. He did that on the cross. And so now we join Jesus by surrendering our own authority over to him and by recognizing him as the master, as the centurion did. As the widow's son experienced, we too will be raised to newness of life. And since we've been born twice, those who are born twice will only die once, a physical death. But that will be our welcome into eternal life in the spirit. Remember, Jesus sees you. Jesus cares. Will you be seen by God like Jesus saw the Roman centurion? Will you want to amaze Christ and God? And, hum and be so humble and be so meek as this centurion to willingly want to follow Jesus and defer to him in everything. Will you be seen by God like that? Or do you want to be seen by God as someone stubborn, someone rebellious, someone who has little faith? That's up to you. God's going to see you either way. But it's up to you how you want to be seen by the creator of the universe. Want to be seen by him as someone of faith? So why don't you come join him today in baptism if you haven't done so already? Have a great afternoon. God bless you. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.